back after the first leg of a Champions League quarterfinals, all of which were really entertaining games. Uh, I think Jesse's going to want to regret that they wrote that in the introduction later on. What? <laughs> we get to the Arsenal. You said the arsenal Wolfsburg game was not entertaining. <laughs> no, it was... Okay, it wasn't entertaining, but it was still intriguing. Okay. Okay. Uh, award, yeah, replace entertaining with intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, intriguing it is. I, I'm your host, Alexi Baceta, and I'm with Abdul Abdullah and Jesse Parker Humphreys. How are you two? Yeah, good. Enjoyed um, those games. They intrigued me. <laughs> Intrigue is not the word I'm going to use. I'm going to use stressful 24 to 40, for 24 hours. It's been very stressful, annoying. I have a lot of thoughts and emotions that will be let go later in this episode, but... Uh, Otherwise, yeah. yeah. What was it you said over text, Abdullah, about uh, <laughs> all your emotions? Let me get it verbatim. Yeah, Abdullah please. said, <laughs> I have many thoughts and emotions I'd like to let out. So that watch out, guys. That's exactly what's going to happen. This, this episode was not planned until <laughs> yeah, Abdullah until needed Ladhar. to rant. Yeah, it was just total like, listen... This is football what? therapy. This is football therapy. <laughs> this is, this is the, the one time where I'm just like, okay calm meditate i just so glad that i just could just i just went to bed after that because i was like i, I was dreaming i was like no anyway let's continue otherwise i'm gonna go on and start now <laughs> jesse are you happy that chelsea aren't in it anymore am i happy that we're not in it what because i like could just enjoy yeah whatever. you're an arsenal fan now yeah i am an arsenal <laughs> fan now um i was not impressed with my new team uh, who I wasn't even supposed to watch because I was supposed to watch my actual team, but then Spurs got COVID. Thanks, guys. Uh, fortunately, they fortunately got leaked literally as I was walking out the front door, so I didn't get a train all the way to London. Um, but yeah, so then I had to watch my new team, and then they didn't impress me. So I'm I'm taking candidates for new new teams. I think for the semi-finals. <laughs> so not Leon. Also, hey, um, we'll get on to that later. But we'll we'll analyze in the order that they were played. And we'll start with Bayern Munich 1, PSG 2. Um, Jesse says it's a game which involved trying to spot um, spot Alex Ivasid on the zone <laughs> broadcast. Um, my mom was playing that game. She was texting me live and she's like, is this you? Is this you? And she got it wrong probably like three out of the five times. I should have asked you what you were wearing. I saw afterwards you were wearing your your patented Alex Ibiseta chinos. Um, which you're always wearing um, but I, I didn't know what to look for and everyone just had a mask on and I was like I could pretend I'd seen you but I wouldn't I wouldn't have you said Alice spotted you though yeah once once you saw once you saw me the first time then you could see me but we were all wearing like where's Wally <laughs> those those pitch side bibs let me tell you are very fashionable I was looking for camera angles. Literally, I just saw your yeah. your social media looking for the camera angles, and I was like, "All right, where is she?" Yeah, she's I was like, this right, angle, "If I was if, in this goal, <laughs> I'd be here." And she, <laughs> Alex would be here. That's exactly what I was trying to do, but yeah, it was actually really entertaining because I was obviously like right next to the goal, but no one else wanted to be in that position, so I had like so much space next to me. Everyone was like more towards a corner flag, which I guess makes sense for photographers. Um. But then I was just kind of, kind of alone there. And I realize now also I need to get, well, I'm not going to get it obviously, but I realize now why everyone has those pitch side, like little seats that kind of like come apart like an accordion. And I realized how helpful that was 
because my back started hurting like halfway through the first half so that was lovely um (laughs) but anyway uh, a bit of a nervous start from both teams but PSG were able to take the lead halfway through the first half thanks to Marie Antoinette Catoto someone commented on one of the social media posts when we, we put out her full name and they were like is that actually her name it's like yes honestly every time I write it I'm still like is this her name or have I just like had a like I, 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 I do second yeah I do double check it a lot on Google when I'm do a friends call her Marie Antoinette every time I mean I'm, I was it's a genuine question they go in the dressing room but hey Marie Antoinette it's like like you can't just you can't just call her like Marie like you have to say Marie Antoinette like you have to say it all you can't do it I think it's a question to ask Alex if you ever get the opportunity to interview someone at PSG you've got to ask that question you should have asked her after she scored I was really disappointed when she scored all the photographers you could see them like running over to take a photo and I really wanted you to be running with them. <laughs> oh no I would never be that I feel I actually feel like low-key embarrassed being that person like on the side of the pitch with like her phone out all the time and just like recording everything like I feel like I feel like a proper like Millennial, millennial like millennial yeah. there you go yeah just like just i like feel one of like, like the um jose Mourinho meme now if i speak <laughs> i'm in big trouble <laughs> that's all i'll say on that pretty much <laughs> um but yes uh marie antoinette Catoto. um i think she has does she has a middle name we'll do it on the next episode if she has a middle name we're including that in there um marie antoinette uh pounced on a loose ball from a corner um and got the lead that was a very interesting one. I think it was, it came off the crossbar onto the keeper's head, back into the box. And then Saki Kumagai took a touch to clear it and then basically just set up Katoto for that shot, which was quite entertaining to watch. But um, PSG lost Sara Dabritz to an injury early on. And Maria Antoinette Katoto got a second goal from a set piece in the second half. Um, but Clara Bull was able to pull back a goal thanks to an accurate free kick with maybe a little help from a poor wall slash goalkeeper organization. It was definitely powerful, but it was really low. Like it, it wasn't really top bin. So potentially the keeper could have done better. But then when you have a free kick that close to you with that power, how much can you actually do um, without getting smacked in the face? But Jesse, PSG's starting 11 is stacked with a lot of very tricky players. How well do you think Bayern dealt with them? Yeah, I thought this game was really funny because it just felt like two very different like styles of play. Like I thought like Bayern felt like quite tactically organized um, and they kind of knew what they wanted to do when they got the ball and PSG were just like, let's give the ball to Ashley Lawrence and see how far she can run down the pitch. And the answer was really quite far. So it worked really well for them. Um, but yeah, I thought I, I thought lots of PSG's wing play was very good. The only person I was a bit disappointed was I didn't think Sandy Baltimore had a great game, but she is really young and I always forget it. So I think it's okay for that to happen. But yeah, I thought Ashley Lawrence was great. I thought Diana was great. I thought um, Kachawi was great. Just all of them like were really able to motor and go and Bayern really, really struggled to get a handle on them at all. And I think as soon as PSG went 1-0 up, I was like, oof, this is now tricky for Bayern because PSG don't really have an incentive to attack. Like they can just kind of sit back and know that they've got those players like 
to the out like the out ball to go and I mean actually they didn't really do like there wasn't they didn't do huge amounts from open play but it still felt like every time they went forward there was like that opportunity there um and it it just like reminded me like how ridiculous this PSG side is because there's like so much talent in it and as I say I didn't really feel like they had like a great tactical plan or was super organized but it's just like when you've got that many good players on the pitch like you can always like rely on someone falling out and it is just crazy the fact that on like both the left and right hand side they've got these insanely good attacking fullbacks wingers and then you've just got Marie Antoinette Katoto like up front and you're like okay it doesn't really matter if your midfield like doesn't really exist at all. Can I just say that Katoto is really tall and I forgot that she's 5'9 and I was yeah like the pitch side behind the goal and I was like leaning over the advertisement board like I think I was posting something and I just see a body cross in front of me and there's not much space between like the actual line and where I was so she had to walk like right next to me and she just walked by me and it was like it was literally just like a tower (laughs) just walking in front of me I was like what the fuck just happened and I look up and she's just walking by me and I was like okay that's that's just saying she's a very tall and strong physique so imagine all that compared with on top of that her goal scoring abilities but Abdullah Byron felt like they weren't able um, they were able to play through PSG quite easily, but then seemed to be missing that final pass. They didn't really have a lot of like dangerous attacks. And I must say that I was really impressed when Cindy Lohman came on. Um, I think she added a lot of spark to their attack. And obviously in the last, right before uh, Clara Bill got the goal, I think they were attacking a lot more and the supporters did come in hand with that. But overall, you know, PSG were the more dangerous attack pr- Probably. Yes, definitely. Um, but Abdullah, what wasn't working for Bayern? No, I, I totally agree with you. I think when we when, when Jesse was just talking about that midfield, I think Dabritz alone just kind of holds that midfield together for them. It's weird. It's like a one-man midfield because she's the only one that's got any... I mean, she's she's got really good quality. I think Giro's improved in the last 18 months. I think she's become uh, definitely a better midfielder. So... I think they've got good enough central midfielders to kind of just hold the fort and kind of then let everybody around them do the work, like Ash Lawrence's and your, and your Karshawis and and whatnot. But I think for Bayern, it's just that it's just missing that final ball because they did so well coming out from the back, bypassing that 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 press, and then just going be able to play transition balls into into the half spaces. But it's like when it got to their wide players, it's like their decision making wasn't the best. Either it would be a you know, it would be the wrong pass or it would be intercepted or it wasn't. And I think I felt like a lot of the play was really slow in the beginning. Like they just, they, they got into the right positions, but they almost slowed down in those positions. And then PSG were able to kind of just kind of align themselves and, 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 and organize themselves. I mean, there was a couple of crosses that I think almost resulted in own goals or tap-ins for, for Bayern. I think it was two chances in the first half. I mean, those were the two chances where they actually played it quickly and, and they and they and they crossed it they crossed it really fast. So I was like, you just need to keep doing that. Um, I felt like I liked Sarah Zadrazel's role in, in midfield for Bayern. I felt like she did do some decent box to box running, but I think when Sydney Lawman came on, you could just tell that there was just a different level of box to box running in, in in that position. She just came in and just showed that power and <clears throat> and pace to break the lines. Um, 
And I think that really helped because then that helped to create space and, and, and a focus on Sydney Lomond. And it kind of almost forced Hamraoui, uh, and at the time it was uh, Diallo and uh, Giorgio to kind of then, oh, right, we have to focus on the on, on Bayern's midfield now um, because you've got someone like Lomond who's actually just powering through. Um, and then obviously Bayern had a little bit more luck at, at that time. But, you know, it was it was weird. I, I think I think... To be fair, I think at the end of the day, I think it was the fullbacks. I think that were the MVPs for PSG. I think they really, both in defensive transitions and attacking transitions, really helped PSG stay in the game. Because anytime Bayern tried to attack, they would cut it off out wide. And because anyway, the, because Bayern wanted to get it to the wide players, Karshawi and 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 Ashley Lawrence needed to be on their game defensively. I think this is probably the best game I've seen Sakina Karshawi play, at least. Probably for PSG, definitely. And I even I would even say while she was at Lyon, I think this is probably her best game overall. Um, but yeah, I think I think Bayern had the right game plan. They just didn't have the right execution in the final third. I, I definitely agree that Karchawi had a really good match. She got the job done. She didn't let any of the attackers, you know, turn and face the goal. Um, her positioning was was brilliant. She was able to stop the the balls coming in from wide areas, from central areas. Um She's a player that I noticed a lot, um, and I guess that's a good thing, if you want to say that. Um, but Jesse, I actually found Maria Antoinette Catoto's middle name, and it's really sad because it's only three letters. <laughs> I just saw it as well. <laughs> but it's Marie Antoinette Oda Catoto. I was like, I wanted it to be like. Long. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but the French they usually have like three middle names, so like. I don't know. Anything could have happened. There are many, many possibilities. Um, Marie Antoinette Oda Katoto uh, feels pretty inevitable right now, Jesse. Where do you rank her globally in terms of strikers? Yeah, I feel like right now she really has to be very, very close to number one. If not, I'm going to say I think she's the best striker in the world right now. I think Sam Kerr is very, very good, obviously, but I think when Chelsea aren't in the Champions League, it's hard to rank her in the same way because it's like, okay, yeah, like you score for fun in the WSL, but Katoto scores for fun in France. Is that did that hurt saying that, Jesse? You did. I'm in my Sam Kerr <laughs> shirt as well. I feel like I feel like covering her naming, like shh, don't listen, don't listen. Um, and given Miedemar's not playing as a number nine, we have to like we get to move her. We we get we get to move her out of the debate, so that's good too um yeah she just like she just scores like crazy like every time the ball comes near her you're like she's probably going to put it at the back of the net and to just it just feels like she does it so consistently like whatever level of competition she's in um you know she's obviously like PSG is all-time like top goal scorer now and there's all these like rumors that she's gonna leave which I think would be a real shame for PSG um just because it feels like if if they want to become like the best team in Europe, they really need to try and hold on to her no matter what, because I just don't think, you know, like we were talking about Alex, like her physicality as well as like her footballing intelligence, the way she interacts with Diani and and Baltimore, um, you know, her her mentality is just like incredible. And I still can't believe she didn't go to the World Cup. Like I'm still not over it. It's it's just insane because in some ways it's like you're like oh she just like had this like glow up. No, she was always this good. Like she's been scoring like 20 goals a season 
for PSG since she was like 17 or something crazy. So, um, yeah, I, I think maybe I'm just hyped because I watched her two days ago. But I, I personally don't know who's better than her in that position right now. Yeah, I think consistency is a big term that you don't really get a lot in football, just in general. Uh, you know, it is really hard for a player to be as consistent as Kototo has been in terms of goal scoring. She's doing it in the Champions League. She's doing it in D1 Arquema. She's doing it with the French national team. She's doing it anywhere she wants, really. Um, obviously, having Diani and Baltimore with her consistently through the national team and club does help, but it is really impressive how Katoto just doesn't really seem to break a sweat scoring all these goals. And you can tell she's she's also that player that really enjoys it. Um, you know, her celebrations, she scores a goal and she's still as happy as she is as if it was like her first goal in the Champions League, um, which is really nice to see because, you know, she genuinely just is enjoying her football right now. Um, and I think she has a right to. And I think PSG are playing quite well that she has a liberty to kind of relax and just let the rest of the team do their work and she does hers. Um, but Abdullah, PSG go back to Park de Prince um, with that one goal lead. But Bayern will feel confident that they can get back into this. Uh, Sarah Zadrazil said after the game that Bayern were the better team, which I thought was quite interesting. I think she's right. I think she's right. I agree. Yeah. I thought they were the better team. I thought they were the better team in the second half. I wouldn't say the first half. Mm. But overall, I think I would give PSG the edge. Like, I think there was, I, I would say it, it's probably, for me, it's probably like a 50-60 and PSG just edge it a little bit because towards the end, Bayern were actually really, they sustained a lot of attacks um, like right before that goal. Um, but I don't know if I would say that they were the better team overall. Um, but Abdullah, you have something to say about that. Uh, but how <laughs> do you see the second leg going in Paris? I'll start with the second leg first and I'll come back to that very quickly. I think second leg, it's it's tough. They're going away from home now, Bayern. And um, if they needed a positive result, they needed to get it uh, at home. However, um, the fact that they have a goal, that they're not completely out of it, but now the onus is on them to go and attack. The onus is on them to go and put pressure on PSG away from home and uh, and, and 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 be able to, to, to get a goal. And my only worry with them now is that it's just that little bit of quality in terms of finishing. I mean, if they can they, if they can replicate the chances they created, the way they created them and get in behind uh, PSG, they have a chance. But someone needs to start finishing those chances. And I think they need a little bit of luck to go their way. Um, it, you know, I, I remember saying in the preview episode that that I thought, you know, like the center backs would be um, would be their weak point, but they managed it. They kept them to a they kept them to to a goal. And yes, OK, that goal wasn't center backs fault. It was a free kick. But from open play, they, they, they managed to keep them out, even though they had a couple a little bit of luck. I think it'll be tough. I, 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 I if Bayern can repeat their performance with a little bit of better finishing, I can see them scoring a couple of goals and, and taking it. But then the thing is, I also see PSG scoring in this game. So then it, it, it just becomes a matter of who can take their chances and who, you know, who scores more, more goals, which is obviously the cliche and the obvious thing to say. But it, because I think both defenses will concede, it's just a matter of how many they're going to score. And kind of just quickly on, on this game, I actually, I can actually see where, 
Bayern would say that they were the better side because it just felt, I think it felt like Bayern were the better side with the chances they had, the possession that they had, the way they were playing, even in the first half, like I think PSG were definitely more clinical, but I think Bayern, there were, there were more moments, more highlight moments in the first half, especially I mean, we don't want the second half, but even this first half where Bayern made chances, it looked like they were getting behind and getting crosses in. So I think I can see where they're coming from. I almost think it's it's like 51-49 to me. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't give it to either one and not argue against it. So, I, so I'll, I'll keep it there because I think both teams had their, both teams had their moments, but I felt that they were equal in terms of the moments that they had. It just came at different times. So I just felt like one team at one point looked really, really superior and the other team did well and then it just kind of going back and forth. I think Bayern felt like the better like, side, but PSG felt like the individual performances yeah. of certain yeah. players were higher. That I think that's why I'm like, I it felt like Bayern were more complete like as a team, but those the ceilings on some of those PSG players is just insane, right? Yeah. yeah, I do have to. What I would find interesting whether Bayern do it or not, because obviously Linda Dahman didn't start either uh, for Bayern. And once Cindy Lohman came on, you saw that spark in the attack, um, kind of starting that attack from the midfield. But if one of these players does start in the second leg and Bayern get to start with that attacking power towards the middle, I think that can make a big difference. Um, but then again, they need to stop Marie Antoinette, Marie Antoinette Oda Kakoto from scoring more goals. So that's going to be fun. But moving on to Real Madrid 1, Barcelona 3. Jesse, you need to say the first sentence of this introduction because I, I think that needs to be said in your voice. I can't do it otherwise. I wrote, oh, Barcelona, you teases. See, I couldn't be able to Is that to what you that. wanted? <laughs> yes, it was. I read that and I read it in your voice and I couldn't say it. Um, but Real Madrid did take a shock lead in the eighth minute thanks to a very cool finish from Olga Carmona and at halftime it was still 1-0 and everyone was getting very excited Jesse was texting me saying what the fuck is going on <laughs> um, but then a soft penalty was given for a foul on Caroline Graham Hansen and saw Alexia Puteas equalize a lot of controversy over the penalty I I personally think it was a penalty just because of the clumsy challenge that stopped. No, it was it was a really soft penalty. Like I would like I would be really annoyed if it was against my team, but I can see why the ref gave it because Caroline Graham Hansen did exaggerate the fall um quite a bit. But then the fact that like her leg was literally wrapped around Caroline Graham Hansen could have stopped the play. So I think the ref had a right to do it. But then if VAR wasn't there, would it have it been called? Which is the question. Um, but we'll get onto that later or just leave it rest so we don't get any um, problems in our inbox later on. Um, but Barcelona still struggled to break down Real Madrid, only scoring their second through that penalty box scramble thanks to Claudia Pina. Um, and then Alexia Potea scored a much more Barca goal in the last minutes um, to probably put this tie to bed. Um, a really good ball from Jenny Hermoso. It was really nice. Patrick uh, had her first touch, squared it to Alexia. Alexia chipped it over Misa. As cool as you like, really. Uh, but Abdullah, a bit of a surprise overall. Uh, what did you make of Real Madrid's performance? 
encouraging. I really liked it. I, th- I, I didn't, honestly, when, when I, I, I saw, I couldn't watch the game live because it was one in the morning. So I had to go to bed. I have work in the morning, but when I woke up in the morning, I saw the scoreline. I thought, all right, routine, um, you know, Barcelona win. They would have scored three goals first and Madrid would have gotten a consolation in the 90th minute or something like that. But when I watched the game back, I was like, wow, like this is the, the scoreline doesn't do the game and what Real Madrid did justice because I felt like I think Real Madrid deserved more. I, I, I don't think maybe I still think Barcelona would have won the game. But I think 2-1 would have been a more appropriate scoreline in the grand scheme of things. And then keeping them in the game would have been it would have been re- made the second leg really, really, um, really good. And I think I think Real Madrid, I think they, they, they got their pressing right in that first half. I think that was the most uh, probably the most uh, intriguing and um, interesting part of their of their tactical setup, the way they press Barcelona. And we've talked about this before. Barcelona, when they have on the occasion given away possession turned over and, and conceded goals in the league it's come from teams pressing them high the, the good thing about Barcelona has always been they've been able to bypass and play out of the press but Madrid were just able to, to to really coordinate their press properly and be able to close everybody down without having to without giving too many balls in behind so I think that was really really that was I think for me really really good part of the game and a um, couple of chances that from Madrid an inch here or there it goes in it's a different game but then you never know if, if they score that, Barcelona turn it on and they go through. Um, but yeah, I, I was really pleasantly surprised with Real Madrid. I, I, I liked it. Hey, listen, at least you two get to go to a game that may just spring a surprise and 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 it's not the 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 obvious result that you're expecting. You might get a good performance now. I was fuming when Alexia scores. <laughs> yeah, Jesse was, wasn't too happy texting either. Um, I was actually quite disappointed also just because I am. I really do want a good tie, and, and a two-one kind of result going into Camp Nou is just enough to motivate Real Madrid and just enough to push Barca over the line. So you still get a Barca win, obviously, um, but it just makes it a bit more entertaining overall. But I think I have to feel for Real Madrid, thinking that they were going to get that two-one result, and then Alexia comes in literally in the last minute of the game and just seals it for 3-1. Um, I do have to like really feel bad for them. Uh, there was a post-match interview. Um, Esther Gonzalez, she was livid, um, basically said that the penalty shouldn't have been given and it wouldn't have been given if it was against Barcelona, um, which I found really bold to say. Um, she, she, was, she was just very blunt. She was like... She was also, it was, it was really nice to see though, because I, I'd assume it echoes kind of the confidence of the team. She says that they proved today that they're not far from Barcelona. Um, like she's like, they're the best side, one of the best sides in the world, but we're not far. Um, so I think that's, that's quite nice that Real Madrid still have that mentality and it could be a good match in the second, but a two goal deficit. And then that's just two goals to get into extra time, um, which I think Barcelona's phys- physicality and just ball possession is just going to run them down. Um, so it's going to be a tough ask, but you never know. Maybe Jesse's uh, Barcelona's bad luck charm. Who knows? <laughs> Fingers crossed. But, <laughs> but Jesse, Barcelona didn't feel very Barcelona-y. Uh, what's going on? Yeah, I, I will just say on Real Madrid, I don't have a huge amount of sympathy for them, even though I know playing Barcelona is very tiring. 
but I thought the way they allowed themselves to defend for the last 10 minutes of the game was kind of totally bizarre. Like, I know the the second goal is, is like, yeah, it's just kind of they don't really clear their lines. But even in the lead up to um, Barcelona getting in there, I think there's like a point where there's like five Barcelona players running up four Real Madrid players. And then obviously the goal in the 93rd minute is like, again, it's a great pass, but like there's so much space for Patri and Alexia to run into. And it's like, you're 1-1 against Barcelona in the Champions League with 10 minutes to go, like just stick everyone behind the ball. Like I don't really get what they were. I don't get why they allowed themselves to be um, so open. Uh, but on Barcelona, I, I, I thought they felt very nervy. Like, especially in that first half hour, it, it felt like they didn't feel as comfortable as we all expected them to. Maybe, you know, there, I wrote a piece on uh, Barcelona, which is why I was texting Alex, like, what the fuck is going on? Because I literally just written this piece being like, they're amazing. And then, like, in the time period between me right, finishing writing it and the piece being published, this was going on. And I was like, ah, I'm going to look so stupid when this comes out. Um, but, you know, when I was doing that, I was like, it's crazy how quickly Barcelona have ascended in our um, popular perception to, like, these ultimate world beater champions of Europe. Like, they're clearly a fantastic team. There's no doubt in my mind that they are currently the best team in the world. But we talk about them like we did Leon, right, a year ago. But Leon at that point had won seven consecutive Champions Leagues. Like, it's a totally different thing. And I did feel like watching this, the start of this game at least, there was just a reminder that, like, this is still quite new, like, this level of pressure for these players because... You know, even going into the Champions League final, like everyone was like, oh, lots of people thought Chelsea would win, right? And like, that was maybe like a bit of like the blinkered English media. I know everyone like wants to make out that because everyone wanted to suddenly switch and say, oh yes, I always knew Barcelona were fantastic. But lots of people didn't know Barcelona were fantastic because we hadn't seen them like really play against the like very best teams. They lost in the semifinals of the previous Champions League. They were pushed pretty damn close by PSG in the semifinals before they played Chelsea. So... I just felt like when I was watching this, it's like, okay, like we all like to pick up this team and justifiably because they're very, very talented, but they're still like a collection of individuals who can feel pressure. Um, but I think as you know, obviously as the game went on, you could kind of see them relax into it a bit more. Um, and I felt like as soon as Alexis scored the penalty, it, the tie kind of felt quite, inevitable and I think even Barcelona didn't feel particularly concerned even when they were drawing because you felt like they were already kind of in the mentality of like look it's a two-legged thing like the worst comes to the worst we're going to go back and thrash them at home um and then obviously they do just add those two goals anyway and then it's, it's kind of over um but yeah I think the other interesting thing was like we we talked about it last season as well but Barcelona um and set pieces like it mm, that's that's like the stress right and that's where a lot of Real Madrid's opportunities came from and it felt like Real Madrid knew that that if they could just make kind of inroads to get into positions where they could kind of have a corner or, or get a free kick that they, they'd put Barcelona under under pressure and I think they hit the post from a free kick um as well so yeah that's that's the kryptonite that's the kryptonite yeah especially without Irene Paredes being the centre-back pairing. Um, Mapi Leon isn't the tallest and you have Andrea Pereira who isn't the tallest either. So it definitely was kind of a bit of a, 
of a point that I think most teams should probably look at, especially when you have a player like Marie Antoinette Onakatoto. Um, when you have these players, you know, Caroline Muller didn't come on until later, but Caroline Muller still is a really good kind of spacious, not spacious player, but she's really good with, with controlling spaces around her and kind of gets that. But Abdullah, does this game and all the others, as mentioned, she, uh, as Jesse mentioned, I don't know, I was going to say mention Jesse, but anyway, um, does this make us revisit how firm favorites Barcelona are for the title? Yeah, I think if the fact that, um, the fact that, uh, you know, they, they came back and, you know, we just talked about how nervous they were and how they were, you know, they, despite everything, they still came up with a 3-1 win. And we talk, we always talk about, um, we always talk about championship level teams being able to grind out results even when they're not playing so well. And I almost felt like, well, not that Barcelona didn't play well. It just felt like one of those games where Barcelona were able to get a 3-1 result despite Real Madrid being in the game and 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 almost take, you know, almost pulling themselves into it from, from, from the get-go. And um, it's, I think, I think it, it, it just, it just, it's just a scary proposition that now that they go next week to the camp, no, it's, it's, or do we call it the Spotify camp now, now, or, or do we still call it the camp now? Um, <laughs> after everything. Um, but no, I, I think, I think when they go there next week, I think they'll, 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 I think not that they ever underestimated Real Madrid, but I think now they'll realize that, all right, We've got to be on our game. We've got to play. We've got to play better overall. And um, and and I, I think it'll be a Real Madrid. Uh, I sorry. I think it'll be a Barcelona win next week. And I think it'll be more. Uh, uh, it'll be more uh, convincing this time. I think that's the word. I do want Real Madrid to score, just to most it. I just don't want it to be a pushover, just because of the events and the occasion and how many people are coming that don't usually watch it's it's more it's not about Barcelona it's more about the other team like if Barcelona is a pushover against that they're never going to want to watch Barcelona play anyone else pretty much um which is kind of the mentality that a lot of people have but that's why I'm doing it because of that I think obviously I want Barcelona to win and they will win anyway but Jesse Barcelona will win obviously um but there is is there any way at all in the second leg for this game to be excited. It just feels so impossible. The idea of, I don't know, maybe, I mean, maybe Real Madrid could have been 2-0 up in this game at halftime. Like they had the chances to do that. So there's no reason that they couldn't do it at the new Camp. But I feel like the atmosphere is going to be totally mental. I don't I don't feel like I think it's going to be really tricky for them to deal with that. I don't think it matters as as much like I wanted it to be exciting. Obviously, it was annoying because we thought this game was going to be a pushover. And then until the very last 10 minutes, suddenly we thought we had an exciting game next week. And now we probably don't. So that's like frustrating. But really, we're, we're back where we thought we were. I think from the perspective of people going, I mean, I don't know if I was a Barcelona fan. Um, who didn't watch the women's team that much. I would be quite happy if I was going to watch Barcelona tank Real Madrid. Like, I think it's more problematic when it's the other way around. Like when you had the Arsenal-Barcelona game at the Emirates. That's crap because like 
Arsenal fans go and they're excited to watch Arsenal and then you just get you just watch your team get thrashed by a much better side so I think the game will still be fun and I think um I just hope Barcelona put on a show you know I think if 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 we're gonna accept the Barcelona win I want them to play better than they did in this game because you want them to like really play at their very best for everyone to see right um and I don't think they it's fair to say they didn't really do that for the vast majority of, of this match. Yeah, you can definitely tell that the players were, even though they got a 3-1 result, you can tell the players were a bit annoyed because it, it didn't feel like a good win. Um, you know, they got the equaliser with the penalty. Then you get two goals, one goal was in the last minute, and they were good, but it took them a while to get used to Real Madrid's press and kind of figure out how to get around it. Obviously, it didn't happen until the second half. Um, so that halftime talk must have been very tactical, I can imagine. Um, probably very confusing for people who don't speak the language. I can imagine maybe like a role for Engen just sitting there um, looking pretty without really understanding every single aspect, especially in Catalan. Catalan is a very strange language. Um, anyway, I just that, that just like it went into my mind and I can just imagine how frustrating it might be to like get all this really good tactical information without really understanding the language. Um, but it was, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, either way, it should be fun. Jesse's going to have like three pictures of Sangria right before the match, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I said to Alex, I was like, well, at least I don't have to like be sober because it's just going to be silly. Like, you know, I don't have to be like, I've got to concentrate on this game. <laughs> Isn't like half of Twitter going to be there? Probably. You know what? You know what we should do? I'm going to do a post-match analysis with Jesse right after the match and get a live reaction. We're doing that. My drunken hot takes. <laughs> yes. Hot takes into that. And then we'll do it. We'll do an actual podcast later on where we actually are sober and had a reflection. And then we'll have to find a bar to watch um, Bayern PSG. Yes, true. It should be easy. I hope, maybe, who knows. Um, but we'll move on to the most surprising result of, I think, the entirety of the competition so far. Um, but Juventus 2, Leon 1. Um, Leon let go of a 1-0 lead after dominating much of the game. And after a red card to Ellie Carpenter, uh, Juventus had that advantage a red card that was very much avoidable, I think. Um, I don't know what she was thinking, trying to do a first touch facing her own goal with the Juventus player barging at her back. Um, Jorginho versus Manchester United vibes. I was getting horrible flashbacks to Chelsea United when that <laughs> I don't know if she either knew the Juventus player was coming and really genuinely thought she had enough time to take that first touch or she actually had no idea that there was a Juventus player coming straight at her full speed um, but we'll leave it at that it was just a very avoidable red card obviously a straight red because she was the last defender and that was it wasn't even like a dirty foul it was she just grabbed uh, the player's arm and the player fell over and the attack stop so direct red card but it's a results after watching the start of the game none of us would have anticipated we knew that it could have been close but did anyone really actually think that Juventus could do it hey I did that's that actually that is true and I said they would cause them problems yes 
We did predict this, but it hasn't happened yet. No, 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 no. Because our predictions were who were making it to the semifinals. True. Yeah. True. On the overall two so, legs. I did say so, it would be a very difficult game. Yes, it will be. Um, I actually, I was, I said on the radio this right before they asked about this as well. And then obviously it's another one where everyone's like, like Leon are going to win, obviously. And I was like, mm, do you remember last year? Or is that just me? Um, it was a walkover at the end kind of but I watched the highlights again and it was a 3-2 win to Leon um in the first leg was it last year or two years ago I don't remember was um, the year before yeah the year before yeah the year before so it was a 3-2 win for Leon in the first leg and it was really Leon got a penalty their first goal was a penalty and it was outside of the box Oh, yes, um, I remember. So yes, annoying. it was a Barbara Bonancea yeah. foul, and it was outside of the box, like fully outside of the box, and the ref gave a penalty, and Leon got back in the game. Um, so that could have been avoided also, but now Juventus have their revenge, red card to Ellie Carpenter. Jesse, what did you think of the two lineups at first glance, and where do you think Juventus could have taken advantage? Yeah, well, it's kind of... Um... A weird Leon lineup, which I'd have to defer to Abdullah on whether they do this a lot. But I was quite surprised because they played Mbop, Renard, and Kadish Buchanan um, as like a sort of back three, but also sometimes not a back three. Um, and it was it was kind of confusing me to watch it. And I was also like, it's just a bit bizarre because, like, especially in the first half, Leon had like so much possession. I was like, why are you playing all of these? defenders like it was really strange and obviously it kind of like came back to bite them because Leon should have been like home and dry after the first half in terms of the amount not necessarily in terms of the chance they had although they did have some good ones um but more just in terms of like how much possession they had um I was intrigued also to watch um Grosso the American I'd not seen her play before um I didn't actually think she had a very good game um but I did feel like Leon it felt like they they were going to have a lot more midfield control, um, which was true. And then obviously the other big deal was there was no Hegerberg. Um, and I actually thought Mallard didn't have a great game either. Um, I think Hegerberg would have made a, a big difference uh, there for Lyon. Um, oh, Grosso is Canadian, Abdullah tells me, not American. There we go. It's basically the same place, right? <laughs> oh, don't tell a Canadian that ever, ever in your life. <laughs> I apologize for all the Canadian listeners for what Jesse just said. Um, yeah, but uh, it was a strange, strange, strange game. I think I think what was just funny was how um, how much Juve have done this, like in in the Champions League this season, because obviously they kind of came back against Wolfsburg as well, and it feels like they've really got. Obviously, they had the player advantage. Uh, here but it feels like they've really got this kind of like never say die mentality which is so funny because it's just the total opposite of Montemuro's arsenal um so I think that's more like maybe the Italian players than Montemuro having that impact there yeah it is really interesting again the post-match press conference Joe was like you know the player advantage obviously gave us an advantage there's no denying that but he said the same he's like but we've been doing this for a while. Like this isn't the first big result that we have. It's not just a fluke. Like we've done this several times in the Champions League already against Wolfsburg, against Chelsea. Um, and obviously in 
Serie A, they're very, very dominant. And it is really interesting to see the growth. Um, I think somebody pointed out that by the time Lyon had won, I think, five Champions League, Juventus still weren't formed. Um, So that's kind of like a big perspective in terms of where Juventus are in the growth of the team. And they've come so far, like, already in just a short amount of time but it is yeah I do find it interesting how the impact that Joe has had on Juventus because it is very much the opposite of what he did at Arsenal I think he has a I think for some reason though I thought Arsenal players and Arsenal did fit his style play better with the possession-based stuff I think Juventus don't fit it as smoothly but fit kind of the long-term project better for him if that makes sense um, so it is going to be interesting to see how, first of all, how long he lasts at Juventus, which I think it's obviously looking quite good now, and how much more Juventus do progress. Because if they're doing this in the first few years, you know, I think it's been four years that they've been kind of doing it, and they're already beating a team like Lyon. You know, they're beating teams like Chelsea, like Wolfsburg. They didn't beat Chelsea, okay, Jesse. Um, but if they're they're being able to match up to these teams, you know, pick up the draws, it's going to be really interesting to see how much they can keep this up and actually progress on um but abdullah obviously the red card was the turning point overall but what was the reason for leon's dominance in the first half uh they looked to have the game in hand abdullah breathe rant go on. <laughs> okay i've been waiting for this moment all day here we go <laughs> okay so i'll just first answer the thing on the lineup that jesse just was talking about earlier they haven't actually done this before, at least in the last few months. They haven't done it. I don't think they've played Mbok at left back. I mean, they've played Mbok as a defensive midfielder when they had an injury crisis, but playing at left back was a totally new thing. And I think a lot of people thought it was a 3 4 3. Actually, ended up being a 4 3 3. It was Mbok as a pure left back. Like, if the best way I can describe it, it's just think Malang Sar vibes when, when Tuchel drops Malang Sar at left back. It's pretty much the same sort of deal where you're playing a centre back at left back for the defensive assuredness. Lopsided yeah, back three. Very lopsided back three. And and I'll get into something in a second, which makes it even weirder. But um, the whole idea was, right, play. Uh, and Bok at left back, you have Makario at left center midfield and you have Basha at left wing. You then just, you basically telling them you have freedom to attack the entire time because we can move and Bok into midfield or come kind of come into a three and just be defensively sound on the left-hand side. And you've got Damaris who can come across as the number six. But the weird thing was they, the way they, they, they played was and Bok could kind of be at a nominal left-back-ish position, but it was Carpenter that would come in and form the three off the ball as a more of a narrow centre-back, which at first I found really weird, but then I understood that they were trying to stop because I think Hertig was playing on the right-hand side. So if I'm not mistaken, I think Hertig was playing on the right-hand side. And so Mbok versus Hertig is fine because then there's no, there's not a pace battle there. It's just strength and physicality, which Mbok can match. On the other side, when it was uh, Chernoya, there's some pace there. So Ali Carpenter can kind of come inside and still cover the area with her pace. So that's kind of the explanation of kind of how the back three, four was kind of forming. Now, they, same, same thing. They played to their strengths. They had Makaria, who's been in the form of a life from center midfield. Basha's, again, playing the season of her, of her career so far, left wing and played really well. And um, Carpenter has really matured into this really, really, really good inverted right wing back. And I think... 
uh, Sonia Bompister has really brought something out of her that I, that I don't think we've seen in previous managers. And I think she, we should, it's, it's very hard to forget. She's still very, very young. I think she's like nine and 20 years old or something around that. And the goal came from a switch from a carpenter cross to the other side. It goes to Basha cross in and Makaria scores. And I think once that goal went in, you thought, all right, they're going to do it. But it just felt like, they weren't able to take their chances because they it's like they got into good positions. They got into scoring positions. They just could not finish. Either Millard was offside. And I think what really what really what Juventus couldn't cope with the midfield press. I think what, what Leon did really well in the first half was the way they pressed off the ball. They almost pressed in like a diamond formation in midfield, went man for man, closed down the spaces, and basically forced them. All right, if you want to go, you've got, either got to come into the middle or you've got to go long, which then our center backs will uh, center backs and left back will win it nine and a half times out of 10. And so they did that for 45 minutes, but they just weren't able to counter and finish the game. And I think part of it was down to the fact that I think Millard is playing as very much like a, like a roaming forward. She wasn't very much of a static focal point. She was running around. So I don't, you know, there wasn't that obvious focal point in the middle, but at the same time, I just think that, you know, I, I think, I think Sarah Gama had a really good game. I think the center backs played really well in that they defended, they might have to defend deep, but I think their positioning was on point. And I think that's literally the sole reason why Juventus defended so well is because their positioning was great. Obviously, we get to the red card and everything, but just up until there, it was just the combination play in midfield. And I think it's the same with Bayern. It's, I, I think we can mirror what Bayern were doing. Bayern played well up until the final third. Lyon played well up until the final third. Yes, they scored from their chance, but everything else after that, they just weren't able to score. And I, I think I was, I was telling somebody, they need to kill the game in the first half because this can be the Bayern PSG game all over again. And if they let Juventus back, it almost seems like this season, this team has not been able to cope with pressure of, of, of having to come back into a game. You know, the last couple of weeks, they've they've drawn, they've drawn and just may, had narrow wins. Say they drew Saint-Etienne 1-1. Uh, it's about 10 days ago. They only barely won 1-0 against Bordeaux. They won 1-0 against Montpellier. They lost 3-0 against PSG. So it's, it's been a bag of mixed results. And I said that this game would help me really figure out whether this team was going to make it this season, probably win the champions league or not. Now it could just be like it was against Bayern in the, in, in, in the group stages where they won one, they lost the next one. It could be the reverse. Now they they've lost this. It's, it's, it's a, it's a reminder that they need to now, because now the onus is on them to go and win it at home next week. And if they have Arda back and they have to adjust their tactics, because there's no Ellie Carpenter, you know they, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to get on it because they have a lot more options on the bench now. But yeah, that's it's just frustrating. <laughs> I'm done for now. Is that is that all you have to say, Abdullah? For now, I'm waiting <laughs> for the next question, then I'll continue. We'll see. We'll see the second leg how that goes. Also, um, but Jesse, we do have to talk about the red card first. Did you think it was it was one? Um, and where do you think Leon lost the plot essentially? Or was it more Juve capitalizing on the situation? Um, I think it felt harsh as a red because the contact was like quite minimal, but it by the letter of the law, I feel like it was one. Like she was away. If Ellie Carpenter doesn't like try and like hold on to her. And ultimately, I think if you're the attacker in that situation and the defender is stupid enough to make any contact with you, you're kind of entitled to, like, go down because ultimately, like, if that is going to affect you going through one-on-one, you deserve to, like, gain an advantage from that situation. Um, I think 
in terms of did Leon lose the plot or is it more Juve capitalizing on the situation? Um, I think we we've seen like from across the Champions League this season that um Juve can play some very nice stuff. That's the nature of Joe Montemuro. They've got lots of very talented players. Um, so I think obviously as the game went on, well, the first the first goal obviously is just like a Buhardi mistake, right? So, you know, I do think Leon weren't very good at clearing their lines. Um, they weren't very good at like stopping Juventus, like building the, the pressure. And that's like when you get these like multiple phases of play, obviously you're more likely to start making mistakes, I think at that point. Um, but the second goal was just like, that's just a fantastic pass. And like Leon was silly to like allow that space, I think, to open up. But that's, it's hard when you've suddenly only got 10 players on the pitch, like, and you're having to reconfigure stuff. And Bonfantini takes it so well. Oh my God. Like, it will be so easy to bluff. I don't think anyone would have blamed her for bluffing her lines in that moment. Um, you know, she would already have seen how much Lena Hurtig fucked up in like the second minute. So, um, but yeah, she took it really well. And there was like another, there was like another attack, very similar attack where um, a pass got threaded through. And I think it was just, yeah, the fact that I think also when you're given Leon were paying this kind of strange, makeshift defense they don't normally play then when you take Ellie Carpenter out of that and you have to reconfigure it and you're playing something you don't normally it becomes a lot harder to make sure you're getting those spaces between the players right um compared to say if you're like number nine just gets taken like gets sent off right and then you're just playing exactly the same shape without that person up top um so I think that's why like it felt like suddenly there was more space there but like credit to Juve for for going going for it really and then kind of showing like what quality players they have i sorry i want to add one thing i think the one thing i would have done is yes you uh, janice came in is is naturally a right winger she came on she's played right back she's like that backup right back but i would have done is i would have taken off and block and brought on pearl maroney because then if you want to play someone who's more naturally you know it, you know you talked about it you're when you're playing a system that with players that you probably make a makeshift back for at least then bring on the natural left back to kind of restore some of the balance in the game. That probably would have been my first, the, the double change would have been, all right, take off Macario, bring on Cayman, take off Mbok, bring on Pearl Moroni, because at least then you have a natural left back who knows the position, who knows how to play there. And Box playing there for the first or second time, uh, you know, in a long time after coming, you know, and she's been out for injury for so long. It, it, it just, it that to me didn't make sense. And that space that where Bonfantini took between Mbok and Renard was such a big space. The other three were so close together. She was almost out of position. And I, I'm like, as soon as I saw the ball get picked up and threaded through, I'm like, wow. And then, but, but the funny thing is I love the run because it almost looks like nobody picks her up till the very last second when they realize she comes over the shoulder and goes, oh, sh- she's here. You know, otherwise it was, it looked like it was going to hurting. And so I think for me, that was the moment of the game. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Bonfancini came on and, and really did well. But I just I just felt like that that second goal was avoidable. They lost control of the game, not just on the ball, but they lost the control off the ball. But I think Leon did a really good job of controlling Juventus' play when they didn't have the ball in the first half. When the Juventus did have the ball, yes, they pressed them, but they dictated where they wanted them to go. We want you to go wide, do it all day long. We're not going to let you through. The second half, I just, I just felt like the... The situation, the moment, the red, everything just, they lost their heads. And I'm really surprised considering the amount of experienced players that are on the pitch from Henri in midfield, Renard at the back, Buchanan's there, Bahadi obviously at the back. Um, someone should have gone and said, all right, calm down. Let's keep the ball. Let's let's not do anything uh, rash. 
And I just felt like they got caught in the moment. And it, that, I think that's what annoyed me the most. The fact that they lost their composure and they gave away a, two very avoidable goals. I've always been suspect of Bahariu in the air. And I'm kind of like, it's. This, I think Endler's injury is going to be the downfall of the season. Just because I think as a just command of the box, shot stopping and kind of even distribution, I always felt like Endler, Endler is a better keeper in that regard. Yes, Bahadi got expensive. She's been playing for a while, but she's been prone to these aerial balls and, and kind of even the after she after the first goal, there was another two moments where the ball got crossed in. She picks it up and drops it. It happened, and at that time she smothered it and kept it, but she dropped it again. And I'm, why you either punch it away or catch it? Don't drop the ball in front. You're gonna give away the goal. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Christian and there is just a better keeper. Yeah, Yeah, I find it quite funny that they obviously wanted kind of for these reasons to replace Buhardi and then they're now stuck with her because Endler's out for so long. And now they've just kind of awkwardly got to be like, oh, like, you remember when we replaced you with this keeper and then like sent you to America for a while? Well, actually, now can you please? Now we need you back. (laughs) It is. Yeah, I'm um, like working for the zone. Like as a football fan, I'm really happy that Leon lost. But then... Ada Hegerberg is one of our ambassadors. So on a work level, I need to cheer for Leon. But then as a fan, I'm cheering against Leon. So well, obviously, I just I mm, I just have I think I think give me one more season of being against Leon. And then I think as of next season, I could be like neutral. It's like just just give me like a couple years to recover from that, like. Hasn't winning the Champions League, hasn't winning the Champions League and us getting knocked out in the quarterfinals last year enough? No, just one more season. Give maybe to the end of this season. I'm giving you this I've, season. I've, I've liked. I'm giving you this season. Okay, give me this season. Especially, I think if Cristiano Ronaldo was still playing, I, I would have a bit more sympathy. Yeah, for you'd have to. You gotta back your Chilean babe. Yeah, but um, she's not there, so. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm giving you this season. I'm giving you the season, and I, I believe I've, I'm holding up my end where I have this profound respect and admiration for Barcelona. Like I, I have never been against them. You, you have to do it either way, though. True, true. But I could have been one of those people just said, you know what, it's just Barcelona. Like whatever. Like it doesn't matter. I hate both your it. teams. So does that help? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, no, it's fine. No, oh it God! All right. I think um. But you know what, Jesse? You're still cheering for Arsenal now, and then you're still going to the Barcelona stadium next week. So that's because I just like football. <laughs> I'll be booing Barcelona. No, I won't. I'd be scared <laughs> to boo Barcelona. <laughs> Might not be the best environment for it. Um, but Abdullah, last question on this section before we move on. The second leg should be another tight encounter given Juventus's need to preserve their lead and Leon need to attack. So could be um, very controversial and maybe uh, Montemoro ball. I also, I did want to add um, about what you said about kind of Juventus being able to force balls and force Leon to play in those spaces. That's like the, like, that's like the headline of Joe Montemoro's football, which is really interesting. I always find that part of his football quite interesting. Although it never, it never works out if teams like Chelsea and Man City started figuring that out quite early and then it just doesn't work at all. But obviously Leon um, 
couldn't really figure out how to take back control fully over the match once that started going on. But Abdullah, second leg, where do you think the game will be won and lost next week? I'll keep it short, but I think um, it'll come back to that that press again. It's it's how well Leon can win the ball back and transition into, into going forward. I think this time, Ada's fitness is key. If Ada is fit and, and, is, and is able to start the game or even play 30, 40 minutes, she has to. Ada, Ada has to come. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if Ada Hegerberg hasn't scored as many goals this season and if she's not in the same goal-scoring vein, free-scoring vein that she has been in years. Her presence on the pitch and her ability, at her, her kind of presence as a focal point in that side to be able to, to kind of, whether it's to ping balls into her, cross them, hold up play, she can kind of do it all. And I think she needs to be there. And you know what? I think if she's one of those commanding presences on the pitch. I think Ada needs to be there. I think for Juve, they need to kind of do what they did in the second half, but kind of from the first, uh, from, 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 from the whistle, from the first whistle. I think I wouldn't, like, for example, I wouldn't start Agnes Bonfantini from the start because the game is going to be totally different. It's not going to be open. It's not going to be as open. I mean, if they're going to defend, 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 I would say, okay, fine, then bring her on when there's some tired legs, like they did in this game. If there's some tired legs after six, because if Leon are going to exert energy for 70 minutes, 75 minutes, you bring her on with 15 minutes to go if you just need to get a goal on the break. You bring on Bonfantini. You have the you have the Bonanzas. You have those players. Bring them on and, and kind of do the kind of do the same thing. So I, I think I think for and then I think and for for Leon play a normal backline that you used to. I think Maroni has to start next week, no doubt. Maroni has to start, um, and I think Cayman will start right back. And I think it'll be Maroni, Renard, Buchanan, Cayman as the back four. I think it'll be the same midfield, and I think Mallard will drop out, and it'll be Cascarino, Aragorn, and Basha. I think that'll be my that'll be the starting eleven. I think, um, but yeah, I think that's that's kind of gonna where it's gonna go. And really quickly, short answer, Jesse. Do you think Juventus can get through next week? I'm gonna back them. Yeah, I think I think what Juventus have shown, which they're really good at um, across all of these Champions League matches, is they're very very good at staying in games. They don't panic if they go behind. Um, you know, all of their matches against Wolfsburg and Chelsea, whatever the result, were always very close. Um, equally here, like I think for all of Leon's pressure, and I think Leon should have done better, but Juventus like didn't freak out, even though they conceded very early. They just carried on doing what they were doing. And it meant that when things went their way, they were still in a position to, to come back in the game. And, you know, um, yeah, I'll, I'll back them. I think... Um, definitely they clearly don't feel um, overawed by Leon. They don't seem to feel overawed by anyone in this competition, um, which I think speaks to the level of experience that's in that team, even if, you know, Juventus as a club hasn't been going for that long. There's lots of like very, very experienced heads there, um, you know, and I think Joe Montemuro has also always been a very calm presence, even to the point of lackadaisical at points. But I think when you're in a situation like this, um, it, it suits them. So yeah, I'm gonna I've got to stick to my prediction, especially now. I'm only in a better position. So no backing down now. Um you know, I'm gonna I might change my prediction. I, I'm pretty sure I said Leon. Um I'm gonna say Juventus. <laughs> I'm gonna as a matter of principle and as a matter of my listening to my heart, I'm gonna back Leon, but I will put out the other answer saying that. I'm not going to be surprised if Juventus win this game and go through. Like, I think 
it's 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 they've shown enough to say for me to say all right if they if they go and perform again I, I'm not going to be surprised if they win I'll back Leon because I want to back because I'll back Leon but my my unbiased self is telling me that Juventus have more than a, more than a good chance of going through next week so yeah I think that's quite fair I think the sentence it wouldn't be surprising if Juventus get through is pretty accurate. Um, and I think it's going to ride more on Leon rather than Juventus for the point that Jesse said that Juventus are really good at just writing out a match and being very calm at it and, you know, not conceding a 93rd minute kind of 3-1 winner as Real Madrid win. But we'll move on to the last match. Arsenal won, Wolfsburg won. Not the most thrilling game, but still plenty to unpick. Um, there was a very fast start with Beth Mead almost scoring immediately, but eventually it was Wolfsburg who took the lead after Arsenal's defense left an unmarked Tabea Wesmuth to head in. Um, Leah Williams' reaction to that was really funny to watch. Um, <laughs> it was like she and- genuinely had no idea she was behind her, wasn't it? Like she fully was just like, what the fuck, Beth Mead? Why did yeah. no one tell me? And then me? Beth was like, what did you want me to do? It was, yeah, it was, it was really funny. It was just kind of that really awkward um, miscommunication between players and Tabela just picked out the space perfectly. Um, but Arsenal really came out of the box at the start of the second half. Braxinas missed an amazing opportunity to equalize. I don't know how she got that so off target and really off. I, I really don't understand. Um. And she did have the offside goal um, that I thought she took really, really well. It was a really nice goal, which is really shameful. Um, considering there was three Wolfsburg players running back on the goal and she still managed to, to slot that through really easily. But Asmuth hit the post after being sent through on a one-on-one on one against Zinsberger and then hit the post again um, off that same opportunity. And in the 89th minute, he blasted a free kick into the area which lots of women Moy somehow controlled really nicely outside of the foot into space. First time smashed home. Um, absolute scenes for the childhood Arsenal fan. Um, that was really nice to hear the crowd go wild, even though it was a tiny crowd. It was still a really good crowd. Um, first things first, Abdullah, I know what Jesse has to say. Abdullah, let's do it first, you. Um, did Tobin Heath shoot or was it an assist? I think it was a shot. I think it was a shot. I mean, you you look at the power and the trajectory and the way it was the way it was where it was going. It, it clearly even look at her back lift. I mean, if that's a cross, there's a different sort of like it's it's a little bit more weighted, like it's a little bit more reserved, and you hold that you hold that kick. But it just looked like she was smashing it in there, and it was just kind of all right. Let's just get it towards goal and see what happens. And even the way I mean. Wubben Moy's touch, whether it was intentional or not, was was is a different story. But that was a pretty good take into taking into feet and scoring. So the overall goal looked fantastic. But I think there was a huge element of luck in the entirety from the, the touch and the shot going into Wubben Moy's foot. So that's my opinion of the of the goal. So I think we can say that there's a box box agreement that it was most definitely a shot. She kicks it way too hard. Yeah, she kicks it. it she kicks it because okay because. The way I saw it from the angle behind Tobin, you see the space that there was. So you can tell what you, you know what she was trying to do because there was that, it was like the um, the Alexia Boutez's free kick against Hoffenheim. It was that same scenario where there was space on the left side and all you needed to do was blast it back, like hard enough that the keeper couldn't get there. 
Um, and I think that's what she was going for. And it just went horribly wrong. Like if you look at the trajectory of the ball, it was way off target. Like it wasn't even, it was so off target. And so I would say it was definitely a, a, a shot, sorry. Um, they asked Leah Williamson this after the match as well. And she said it was off the cuff. <laughs> so that was quite funny. But Jesse, express your your opinion i can see why people think it want to think it was planned one because tobin heath is a genius um and two because there are certain angles where because you can see that space you can also see it think oh maybe she's playing it into the space in the area but she just kicks it like way too hard for it to be purposeful because as we've said wubamoy's touch is amazing and Woman boy is your centre back and is not the kind of player who you're like, I'm going to really rely on her to have an amazing touch because she just generally doesn't anyway. Um, and and bring this ball under control when I've like kicked it that hard. I feel like if Viv had done it, I would be closer to being like, oh, well, to- maybe Tobin just smacked it because she knew Viv would be able to bring it under control. But where it ends up, I'm just like, no, no, no. There's no way that's planned because if it was planned like that, then they fucked that up because that had so much potential to go wrong. So that's why I'm leaning towards it was a shot. I would assume it would have been a low hard kick, but the way you would kick a low hard kick is completely different to the way that Tobin Heath hit it. Mm. You would kind of, the, the weight of your body would be very different and the weight of the ball would also be very different. Um, I mean, it would have been, if that, if that was planned, that would have been brilliant because the amount of space that Lata had to take that first touch into was ridiculous um but box box we said it it was a shot that went terribly wrong and Lata uh, did brilliantly to actually get that under control and and finish off a late equalizer but after the game lots of people were saying that Arsenal probably deserved the draw but Wolfsburg did outperform on the xg 1.7 to 0.9 Jesse do you think a 1-1 was a fair result. Mind you, you're supporting Arsenal now. As an Arsenal fan, um, I thought Wolfsburg probably should be disappointed they didn't win this. Um, just because I I understand why like um, real Arsenal fans, unlike me, no, sorry, real Arsenal fans like me, um, I can understand why they wanted the draw because I think, you know, like you are saying, Alex, the Blackstonians offside goal it's like she took that so well so you're like I I want to believe that that we deserve like those things but I think in reality like Arsenal did felt it felt to me at least like they did very little to to try and get back into this game and like I can't believe Vasmuth the form she's been in this season that she missed that one-on-one like I don't understand how that hot like none of that whole chance went in um so I really think Wolfsburg just from those two opportunities should have been 2-0 up and like I said, because I think the goal was kind of fluky, I'm not like, I don't really feel like Arsenal like had piled on the pressure and um, really deserved for it to go in. Um, I was quite disappointed with Arsenal, to be honest, because I just thought like, we know that Wolfsburg are like a bit 
like you can rattle them right like because we we've kind of seen that like across in both the Frauen Bundesliga and in the Champions League this season uh, and I guess in a way that the fact that Wolfsburg still conceded in like the 89th minute kind of shows that Arsenal did that to a certain extent but it just felt like when Arsenal came out to start the second half you were like okay great like this is like clicking like you're really gonna go you can see that there's an opportunity for you to like really push this home and get the win um, and then after like about 10 minutes, it just like faded away. And then like that, there was no changes. There was no substitutions. There was no like switches. Like I'm like, I know everyone loves Vivstinius, including me, but you're maybe if you're one nil down and there's 20 minutes to go, you want to push Miedemar further up the pitch again, because we know she's still an amazing number nine, even if she likes playing. Like it just felt like there was no changing anything um and I kind of find this fascinating because uh Tim Stillman was talking about how many um like last minute goals Arsenal have scored this season which is true and it's a really like impressive element of Arsenal's game but I find it really interesting because it's almost like Idabal's so convinced by his team he's like oh we will get something without me like really having to make any changes and I feel like because there's now these all these occasions which have kind of proved this, everyone's like, ah, yes. But like realistically, like I just think that will run out at some point. And it seems so bizarre to me that like he doesn't seem to make any changes. Like, and I'm not even talking about subs, as I say, like it just feels like when stuff's not clicking, he's just like, I'm just going to leave it and hope it does click at some point. But just because it keeps doing that now doesn't mean it's going to do it forever. Yeah, I definitely agree. And the way he used his subs is also really interesting. I Nikita Paris came on and I was like, that is not what you want to see as an Arsenal fan. Like that is not what we need right now in this given moment. Um, so that was fun. But I thought my opinion on the match is that Arsenal were, I think they did decently in terms of kind of with taking Wolfsburg's attack for, mo- for the most part. And then, Steph Catley and Caden McCabe, I thought, did quite well together overall because Steph Catley was actually pushing up a lot more often, I think, than she usually does at Borenwood and the WSL. But Arsenal were getting into these positions. And as soon as that final pass was ready to go, they just turned into the shittiest team you can ever imagine. Um, basically, like, there were so many chances where the ball was given straight to a Wolfsburg player where the first touch was too heavy and Wolfsburg got an easy clearance without pressure on them. Like all these moments were awful and it's as simple as like everything else was going fine. I thought Lee Williamson did really well. Um, On Wolfsburg, I think Lena Oberdorf did really well um, in the midfield. She did have to be careful. Obviously she was on a yellow at one point. Um, So she had to be a bit more cautious but I think she did really well and kind of especially on Viv um she was she was really defending quite tight in the midfield and she was actually quite good at stopping the Arsenal attack a lot and kind of just pushing the player back on their on their heels and stuff so that was quite impressive but Arsenal was doing everything right I think it was just the last ball that they just completely like shut down in every instance and it just didn't make sense whatsoever um and then the subs I agree um, pushing like leaving Viv in the midfield and putting Freedom Manum up top, and then taking off 
um, taking off Katie McCabe for a strop with Tobin Heath was a bit interesting as well. Um, I was talking about it at halftime, actually, and I wanted to see Katie McCabe back, Tobin Heath on the left, uh, put Viv up top and potentially put in another midfielder, and that could have gone maybe a bit better. Um, but it should be interesting next week because I believe that Beth Mead will be missing the second leg of Wolfsburg. So we'll see who starts. Hopefully not Nikita Paris. I'm me to make sure. I'm upset I won't be there to see your face when the team news comes out because I really want to see what happens. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll chug a pint if Nikita Paris is starting the <laughs> week, which oh is God, most well. likely. I'm gonna FaceTime you. <laughs> I mean, given the history of Jonas, Jonas is starting lineups when Beth Mead, when Caitlin Ford, well, maybe Caitlin Ford will be back. So we'll see that. Um, but Abdullah, Jonas Eideval wanted waited quite a long time to make his changes in this match. Um, a lot of fans said the same thing, and it is really frustrating. Uh, he clearly has his favorites in this Arsenal team already. What do you think about how he's using his squad? Yeah. I mean, yeah, when Jesse, I mean, when you guys said, like, he just, it seems like he kind of has this starting plan. It's just like, it's it's going to work now. Like, just give it two more minutes, it's going to work. And it's, okay, give it two more minutes, it's going to work. And that two minutes turns into 60, 70, 75 minutes. And then, and then it's like the first change comes in. I almost feel like he's one of those managers after watching him for the season. And I, and I could be wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong. But he almost seems like that manager where he has a plan A and he probably has a plan B, Right. But he's so fixated on plan A that he wants to, he wants, he just, he's like, he's almost willing it to work, even if it's clearly not working. Right. And sometimes it feels very samey. Sometimes it's like the subs are very samey. They're just not as effective. And it's like, when you're not giving players enough time to come and make an impact, it's very difficult for those subs to come in and actually do something. Because if you're giving them, as an example, you're giving them 10 minutes or 12 minutes sure, maybe once in a while someone will be able to come in and score. Like, take Bonfantini as an example that we just saw. She comes on for, what, 12 minutes, 11 minutes, she scores the winning goal and then hero, right? But it, you're not going to get that in every game. And I feel like Arsenal Arsenal have this one way of playing and 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 it's, and it's all right, if it doesn't work, if the plan doesn't work with these 11, all right, 75 minutes, it's not working. Let's bring on a Nikita Paris. Let's bring on a Mane Iwabuchi. Let's bring on a Jordan Nobbs, right? And let's bring on one of them, replace them almost like for like at times. And I guess the one, obviously we know, the one main tactical change he made was Blackstenius up front, Viv in the number 10 position. And we saw that when that change was made, there was almost an instant impact in the way the team was playing. They suddenly became unpredictable, scoring more goals. There was more creativity. Players were free. And so that, 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 that worked. And so it's almost like within his own decision-making, if you make good changes like that and thoughtful changes, you can actually then, you know, penetrate and actually create more chances. And kind of to the point, I think I was looking at their squad and the number of starts players have made. There are about 15 players who have made 10 or more starts, of which this doesn't include Rafael Souza, Tobin Heath, and Blackstenius because – Tobin Heath's been injured. Susan Blackstenius came in. It came in January, but they're on six and eight uh, appearances. But then it's quite clear from this that right, it's this it's this core of like 14, 15 players that I trust, and I'm going to play them. And it doesn't really leave much room for changes in, ter- in terms of in terms of that. I mean, and if you take from that, 
it's like out of all of them, there's like three or four center backs. And I mean, if you're out of if you're 16 players trusted and four are center backs, that doesn't leave much for the changes further up the pitch, right? I mean, it's it's pretty rigid on the fullbacks. It's pretty much the same fullbacks every time. Um, and, and then obviously Miedemann and Black Stenius are basically now nailed on to start every game. So you almost are running out of positions to be able to change things up. And I think against a team like Wolfsburg, and, and if they do go through to the next round, whoever they face, there's going to have to be an, an, an element of, 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 of a surprise element in terms of maybe playing players in a different position, trying something new, because if it's the same, same, same old thing, then it's, you know, then someone like Barcelona will just walk all over you again and it's game over. So I think he needs to show a little bit of flexibility and, and, and to his credit, when he has done it, it's worked, but he's just not done it enough. And it's, and, and I, I don't exactly, I mean, there is some blame on the players, but I don't exactly blame it all on them because they don't have the time nor the consistency to be able to settle into that. It's going to be interesting what he does in the second leg, especially if I think, I think Wolfsburg have proven to be, the stronger side mentally and being being able to kind of just push through. And I mean, obviously they did concede in the last minute, um, which isn't the greatest, but they were, I felt that, well, it looked like they were the better prepared team. And I'm not saying that they quite literally were, but they were just in there to win it. And Arsenal were, yes, they were there to win the game, but it's just very two different mentalities. And, you know, away to Germany is a completely different ball game than it is at home so it's going to be really interesting mentally how Arsenal challenge this but then also how what Jonas is going to do differently to this because clearly this did not work and Beth Mead has been at the center of Jonas's attack for a lot of the season so without that I'll be very curious to see what his solution is to kind of keep that persistent attack on the wing and the high press um but during this match Chelsea could have gone top of the WSL um, as Arsenal were playing this match. But the game was called off due to COVID cases in the Spurs camp. Ryan Skinner, what are you doing? Um, this could cause some controversy with the North London derby um, that's set to be played this Saturday. Jesse, how do you think Chelsea's game being called off and Arsenal drawing will impact that match? I think it's going to be very interesting if it happens. I feel like if it happens and Spurs have a weakened team, Chelsea are going to be fuming kind of understandably but I suspect there'll be massive pressure for it to happen obviously because it's meant to be at the Emirates there's all these tickets this is massive deal so I'm very intrigued I think if it's called off Arsenal have a, a bit of a problem in like how jam-packed their schedule is going to get um, especially if they were able to get through against Wolfsburg um, and then had to play semi-finals I think Chelsea will feel frustrated because it was cancelled literally three hours before the game um, and Zatira Musevich was complaining on Twitter about it. She really went in. I was like, oh, be careful, girl. The FA will come for you. <laughs> um, so I I think it's like, it, it just shows how ridiculous this whole season has been because once again, you're like all of these off-field factors. Suddenly you're like, it feels like now the title race is going to have like another little twist Chelsea felt like they were in really good form. They were going to go to play Spurs. They were going to go top. Now, as it is, it, it feels like they got ready for a game. It's not happening. They've kind of got to go to, to Leicester now. Um, they're probably thinking about whether Arsenal play Spurs. I feel like Arsenal have a bit of a problem as well, because if this game does go ahead, 
they now know that they've got to go to Germany next week. Okay, they've got quite a big gap between those games, but like they need to go and like perform at the highest standard. And Spurs are let's ignore COVID. Let's assume Spurs turn up with like a full team, which they obviously won't if they do play. Um, but Spurs will feel like okay, this is our moment like to shine and Arsenal are going to have to put in a performance against a team who they've already drawn with once this season. Um, I think the only good thing for Arsenal is that getting the fact that they were the ones who got the last minute winner is like a massive just hype adrenaline boost. Like you're obviously going to feel amazing about yourself. Um, So I think that will definitely help them. But yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what happens because if... It, from a Chelsea perspective, if the game goes ahead and Spurs have a weekend team, it's going to be so, so annoying. Just you're an Arsenal fan who's supposed to be happy. Sorry, I, I will know. be so, so happy. I'm also actually wanted to go ahead because I'm really looking forward to the match and I'm going with my friends and I want it to be fun. Um, but I'll do that last question. Um, stat courtesy of Sophie Lawson. In 14 trips to Germany for Women's Champions League games, English team have only won once and that was Arsenal themselves 10 years ago and everyone talks about it everyone talks about how playing in Germany to German teams is unlike most other kind of oppositions that you'll get Jonas has mentioned it already yesterday he's everyone's mentioning it but can Arsenal get the job done at the Volkswagen arena it's tough. Chelsea have, uh, Chelsea have felt it a couple of times um, in, in how they've played against Wolfsburg both this season and last season. Um, so it's no, it's no easy task. You want to say yes, just purely because of Blackstenius and Niederman. I don't know. I feel like that combination alone is such a dangerous partnership that they can kind of create something out of nothing together and they could put the game to bed. But on the whole, as a team, I feel like after getting the draw yesterday uh, away from home, I think Wolfsburg will feel like, all right, we're, we're still in this tie. We have a, we have a, we, we, we were able to score away from home. Now we're home. Let's try and finish the game and let's try and do it because kind of what we talked about, if it's the same team, and there's not much changes tactically, then for Wolfsburg, it's just a matter of, all right, listen, we we kind of know what the problems were in the, the, the problems were in the first leg. Let's see if we can if we can take the solutions that we have now and apply it here. And they can go from then. I think Wolfsburg aren't, I think Wolfsburg have been a much better team. I think that we all thought at the beginning of the season and even last season when they started losing players when Rolfo left and and an engine left, we were like, oh, you know, are they weakened? You know what's happening? But then the signing of Tabio Asmuth has come in and, and and a few more. And I think overall, I I think this this Wolfsburg team might be slightly underrated in 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 a, in a way. Um, so I think it'll be very very tough. And I think the only thing that's making me say. Arsenal might pull it off is because of Miedema and Blackstenius, but you know, I think I think uh, it'll be very, very tough and, and and Wolfsburg could quite easily go through and win it. Nikita Paris is gonna shut us all up and she's gonna score the winning goal in the 89th minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna happen now. Um, but we'll leave it at that. Um second legs should be tasty. It's quite I'm really happy that there isn't really like a one-sided match 
maybe aside the Barcelona Real Madrid game. But it was a lot closer than anyone expected uh, looking at aside the scoreline in an actual match. But it is, I think the second legs are going to be really, really good. Um, quite unpredictable in the sense that anything can happen, which obviously we haven't had this in the Women's Champions League um, for a really long time, as of maybe the past couple of years, but before that, not really, because <coughs> Leon were killing football slowly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'll do that. <laughs> um, but we'll leave it at that. And we will record a live post-match analysis <laughs> with Jesse after the Camp Nou match. Um, and they, it has to happen now. So we'll leave it at that. We'll come back after the second leg. Obviously, WSL uh, matches are going to start happening again. And yeah, so we'll, we'll do that. And then international break coming up again. Nothing too exciting, I think. Um but we'll make sure to, to come back with a couple episodes before that. And yeah, thank you everyone for listening and see you soon. See you later. Uh, bye.